to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul explains a harsh truth to his protege, Timothy. He says, the time will come when believers in Christ will not seek out sound teaching. Instead, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Now, the new teacher for most Christians is their mobile phone, and they have apps, and they're really good friends with their apps. And so they accumulate for themselves these apps, which become teachers, that are teaching them anything but the truth. Second Timothy 4.4, And these believers in Christ will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths, mythology, lies, deception. Do you, you notice the attitude of human beings today? Our attitudes are so sour and so dour and so down all the time. Why? Because we're listening to the news. Why? Because we're looking and we're... It's just so funny to me to watch the images that are placed on the news. Now, I come out of the broadcast industry, and I can remember when I was learning how they would talk about how we select the images to go on the screen really has an effect on people. And I thought, that's dumb. That's not true. But then every time you see a picture of Donald Trump, he's got this grouchy look on his face. And every time you see a picture of Joe Biden, he's got this cheery look on his face. Really not bad for an Alzheimer patient. And so, you know, these are the things that we're constantly being bombarded by. And it affects us. It affects our attitude deeply. And what are you doing to counteract it? And the answer, loud and clear, is nothing. You're not doing anything to counteract it. Two hours a week is not enough to counteract it. Two hours a week is supernatural, but it's not enough. Because... You have to reduce the amount of time you're spending with that and increase the amount of time you're spending with the encouraging thing called the Word. Because that, the world is telling you that you're a loser. The world is telling you that you're never going to make it. The world is labeling you with identities and telling you that that's all you can ever expect from yourselves. And you know what? Here's, here's your bad You want to believe that. You want to believe it because you believe it deep down inside that you're not good enough to ever be anything. And you're you're partially right about it. You aren't good enough. You have a sin nature. You have the flesh. But what if you shifted your perspective? What if all of a sudden you looked at yourself like the Lord looks at you? 
There's a whole new ballgame, isn't it? You're a saint and a priest and an ambassador and justified and redeemed and reconciled and expiated and atoned for. And, and somebody came to die specifically for you to wipe out every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future. And it doesn't matter how many times I tell you that. It does not get into you louder than the world. There will be a time when believers in in Christ will turn away from the truth and turn to myths and believe the myths. I mean, I, I, I listen to how we pray sometimes. We pray as if we're unsure what God's going to do when we pray. God, I just please, please. You don't have to beg him. What do you, he wants to do everything you say. He says, anything you ask in prayer. What did he say? What thing? I can't hear you. Anything you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Does that sound like it's tentative? Does it? Anything you ask in my father, my father in my name, he will do it. Does that sound tentative? It doesn't. But I could tell you that I could be in your ear every moment of every day, and you'll still believe uh, Nora O'Donnell on the news. Nora O'Donnell. Oh, Nora O'Donnell on the CBS tonight. Oh, can't wait to hear what Nora O'Donnell has to say. Is she even a believer in Christ? Is she going to heaven when she closes her eyes in this life? Because I am. Listen to me. So this is what, uh, what the world is filled with ear ticklers. And they just don't live here in Barah Ministries. They, they don't live here in Barah Ministries. The pastor of this ministry is not an ear tickler. We want our ears tickled with the truth. That's what we do here. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is deity. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission. I don't believe you heard me. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission. There is no government that is in place without his permission. He places governments in place. So he knows what he's doing by placing certain governments in place. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Jewish Messiah. And at Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Because man is confused and God is not. We do not have a God of confusion. Those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. And that deep, personal, uh, uh, 
that deep, intimate, and personal relationship does not go through his mother, Mary. It does not go through statues. It does not go through any intermediary. It does not go through Joseph Smith. It does not go through Buddha. It does not go through the Pope. It doesn't go through anybody. It's a direct, intimate, and personal connection between you, the creature, and your creator. So God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He's a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. And he doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from his throne over the world at a future time. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel around on sea and land to make one convert to your religion, and who becomes converted, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Religion deceives many into thinking they are saved when they might not be, and it works really well. Billions of people are deceived, and those who are deceived by religion don't stop to examine the doctrines of their religion to look for the deception. I wonder when the last time is that anybody who is part of a religion, if ever, has ever examined the doctrines of the religion. And if you examine the doctrines of your religion and you say, I don't believe that, you probably stumbled on something that's not true. But here's the thing. You don't get to be a cafeteria religious person. You don't get to pick and choose what you believe. Why don't you get uh, a religion? Why don't you get uh, a way of thinking, the Bible, where you don't have to pick and choose because there's nothing incorrect in here? Why don't you just pick the easy one? Why do you want to pick the one you have to sort through and discern? Why don't you compare your religion's doctrine to what the Bible has to say? That'll illuminate it for you. It'll make you crystal clear about the crap that you allow in your life. Well, the Word of God is, the Bible is the truth. And it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who, is, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, what difference does it make that you're on the planet? What difference does it make that you're on the planet? That's a question that demands an answer from each one of us. There will be a time when each of us are described in an obituary, and it hardly matters that we were here, that we had a family, that we had a job, and then we left. Have you ever read an obituary? I read them all the time now. You know, I'm getting to that time in my life where I read them just to make sure that I'm not in them. Amen? Because, yeah, I'm worried about you people. I don't want, I want somebody to be here to take care of you. And I would prefer if that was me. Amen? Amen. 
but the obituaries are all they're all the same. He was born in Chicago, Illinois, in the ghetto. And he grew up in the ghetto being chased home by gangs. And then he escaped and he went to Northwestern University and he saw the light. And he went to Southern Illinois University and he saw the light even brighter. And then he went to CBS and to ABC and all the way ascended to the top of the spiritual pyramid by being a pastor for Barat Ministries. And then he died with a needle in his arm and a morphine drip. That is not the way I want my life described. And that is certainly not the way I want to live my life. Believe me, if it doesn't make any difference that I'm standing here today, if this doesn't make any difference in your life, please tell me. Please tell me, because I got some orange slices at home. And I, I got some Cinnabons and some hot coffee. You know, this is the time of the year where it's real cold out, so you hold the cup, you cuddle the cup real close to you, and you sip because you like that steam that comes up on your face when you're drinking hot coffee. And I can be doing that. I don't have to be doing this if it makes no difference. We're here to make a difference. Now, God brought you to earth to make a difference in the lives of others. Do you make a difference in the lives of others, or are you selfish? Well, we continue our study of a pretty selfish group, the first century believers at Corinth. And in addition, as we do every month, today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We have peace with God amidst the confusion and turmoil of this world because at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to his Father. When you hear that term, we have peace with God, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. But you know what it really means? It means God has nothing against you. All the times that you've lied to yourself and said, God's disappoint, disappointed with me, and I know God is just looking down on me because I made a mistake. You were lying. He does not look at you like that. He doesn't look at unbelievers that way. So you know he doesn't look at believers that way. No, you were lying. You were lying because you listened to the world. And that's what they're telling you. That's not God's perspective. So we look forward to sharing some things with you, both as we look at the Corinthians and as we look at the Lord's Supper, that give you some confidence about how the Lord really looks at you. So when you look around you in the world and what you see and what you hear is discouragement, don't be conformed to the world's system of thinking. Remember Romans chapter 8, verse 11, which says this, But if the Holy Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and of course he does, the believer in Christ in the church age is indwelled by all three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and of course he does, believers in Christ, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give the resurrection life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We are encouraged by the deep, intimate, and personal power that God keeps on pouring into us, that the Lord 
shares with us. And Jeremy Camp says, it's the same power that resurrected our Lord from the grave.
We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the tribulation and the challenge of living in a world that is loud with chaos. Thank you for the clarity that your personal plan for us gives to our lives. And thank you for the confidence a relationship with you and your Son and the Spirit brings to our existence. Help us to stop counting on ourselves for power, and instead let us remember to count on you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what difference does it make that you're on the planet? What difference does it make that you're on the planet? Well, I have a friend who just told me that he was going to have to get $1,500 worth of dental work. And, you know, generally speaking, his teeth are really nice, so I was just curious how that could happen. And one of the things he does on a regular basis is he opens beer bottles with his teeth. And so you keep doing that over and over and over again, and eventually you crack a couple of the teeth. The thing that's funny to me is he has these sandals, and on the bottom of the sandals, there's a bottle opener. So really all he has to do, he's always wearing sandals, all he has to do is take the sandal off and pop the beer bottle and put the sandal back on the floor and drink his beer. Yeah, it's kind of like we are in our lives. You know, you can use God's power to do things, or you can use your own. And most of us prefer to use our own, but it's pretty expensive when we do it. Amen? And, and that's why your mood is so lousy, because you think you have to do everything. That's not Christianity. God put you here to make a difference in other people's lives. He put you here with a set of talents. And he wants you to learn what they are and to use them for the common good. And when you don't do that, when you buy into the world's system of thinking and the world is telling you, just be selfish. Don't don't interact with other people. Go into your home. Stay isolated. Stay away from people. Don't make a difference. Just listen to what your government has to say. Go work hard. Give them half your money. Do everything they're telling you to do. Be good, dutiful slaves. We buy it, and we do it. And then we're scratching our head. Why am I depressed? Our God doesn't recommend the same thing. He says... It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep on standing fast in the freedom and don't ever again be entangled in the yoke of slavery. But we're comfortable with our little slavery life because, oh my God, living freedom is a risk. Oh my God, living freedom is responsibility. It's too hard. It's going to be hard. I do a lot of executive coaching, and I just, I can't, if I had $100 for every time one of my executive coaching clients tells me it's going to be hard, I wouldn't even need to charge them. I just, may, I just live off that. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. That's a decision. And, and what happened to us? You know, the moment, here I am, I, I'm your dad. All right, and I'm, I got the video because, you know, dads are coaches when the baby's coming, right? Which means pretty much we have absolutely nothing to do, right? So we take a camera in and 
we film it. I got my second kid's birth on film, on, on video, because I'm standing there for eight hours videoing this whole ordeal. And then the crowning happens. Oh, he's coming. And then he pops out and he says, here I am. Let me tell you all the things that I'm good at. Is that what he tells you? Or does he tell you, I just need somebody to wipe my ass and give me a nipple? Because that's what mine did. And he was loud. <laughs> I've never heard crying that shrill. And nothing has changed. He's still shrill. So we come here and we don't know anything. And so we have to learn everything. But when did it happen that we started describing the learning processes? That's hard. That's hard. When did we expect it to be easy? When did that start? It's not easy. I'll never forget I was teaching a friend how to drive a stick shift. And she expected, she fully expected that she was going to be excellent at driving a stick shift immediately. Driving a stick shift is one of the hardest things. Learning how to drive a stick shift is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. You don't get it right away. But she expected that just because she was born, she should know how to do it. And if she didn't know how to do it from the moment she was born, then she didn't have that talent. That's what people actually believe. And that's why life sucks for people who have that mentality. Because they never bother to investigate what God put them here for. And he did not put you here to describe yourself as, I'm the kind of person who. He did not put you here. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's not why he put you here. Yet that's what we do. Well, that's the way you want to live your life? Who am I? You know, because my job as a pastor isn't to follow you around and tell you how you ought to live your life. But that is not the truth. Living a life like that is not the truth. It's not fulfilling. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, the Apostle Paul is answering another question that's been posed by Chloe's people. Some believers in the Corinthian congregation were claiming to be more spiritual than others because of their spiritual gift. The spiritual elite wanted others to know that because their spiritual gift was a communication gift, the gift of tongues, for example, that their gift was better than everybody else's. Yet we know that God is not a God of partiality. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says this, opening his mouth, which was his frequent habit, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. In addition, God the Holy Spirit doesn't play favorites in his distribution of spiritual gifts. He does not give spiritual gifts to cause divisions, nor does he give spiritual gifts to give certain people the idea that they're better than others. Instead, God the Holy Spirit gives gifts to promote unity, and he gives gifts for the good of all in the body of Christ. You have something 
that other people need. And that's why you should not be casual about coming to church. But that's the way people are today. They're casual about coming to church. Oh, I'll just, I'll just look at it online. Yeah, good idea. Just check it out online because nobody online is going to ask you a question about what you heard today. And nobody online, after they ask you the question, what you heard today, and you give the wrong answer, is going to challenge you. And nobody online is going to know that you're sick at home and come and visit you. And nobody online is going to expect anything from you. So you're a perfect flunky for Satan and his system to go off, to isolate yourself individually, and don't be around other people, because let's face it, being around other people is a pain in the ass. Because you actually have to have a conversation with them. You might actually have a conflict with somebody you go to church with, and you might have to actually resolve it. You may have to get different in the way you approach life. You may have to get different in the way you think about life. Maybe you need to stop thinking of yourself as a cripple. Maybe the people around you will say, hey, why is it that every week you, you keep doing the same things, using a walker when you got to walk around? Nobody's going to say that stuff to you online, right? Nobody's going to encourage you to strengthen yourself. See? So that's why we want to be by ourselves, because we don't want the feedback. You can't grow without feedback, and you certainly can't grow without pressure. There's a thing called the biosphere down in Tucson. And one of the things, this this big bubble, and they have all this life inside the bubble. And one of the things they figured out is that the trees were falling over all the time. Did I tell you guys about this? The trees are falling over all the time. They couldn't figure out why the trees were falling over all the time. You know why the trees were falling over all the time? Because there was no wind in the, in the biosphere. In nature... There's wind blowing, and the trees, if they don't want to fall over, they have to sit their roots deeper into the soil. Okay? And so that's what they do. Yeah, I have it. I, I got it in my hand here. Trees grow deep roots and get stronger because of the resistance of the wind. So you're complaining about resistance in your life? That's how you get stronger. Because left to your own devices, all you do is sit on the couch all the time. And sit there with your baby bird mouth open waiting for somebody to drop a worm in it. No, you got to get up, go to work, have your boss treat you like crap, come home and whine about it, not make enough money for you, and then, oh my God, you might have to think you might have to figure out how to do differently than that. Oh my God, resistance. That's what God gives us tribulation for, resistance. All he asks of you is little things like faithfulness. Can't wait for that day when you go in front of him face to face and you say, yeah, God, you know, you're, you were important to me, but not quite as important as this, my electronic device. Because I spent virtually every moment holding it in my hand and cuddling it. And every once in a while, I thought about you. Yeah, he can't wait. Can't wait for that conversation. I'm going to be sitting there, too. I'm going to be. 
Rory, you have anything to say? All my answers will be the same. Three words, God. I told them. I did my job. I told them over and over and over. You want to hear one of the lessons? Let's start it this way. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're so funny as people. So God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't pay fa- play favorites when he gives out the spiritual gift. Well, we'll hear the verses that we studied early in December as we open this three-chapter passage, and we're going to pick it up from here and then go on into the next part of the passage next week. But here's just a reminder of what we learned. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and we're going to keep going to verse 11 or 12. Now concerning the spiritually gifted ones, brethren, you fellow believers in Christ, I don't want you to be ignorant, since you're so smart and so knowledgeable. There's Paul being nice and sarcastic. 1 Corinthians 12, 2, you know that in the past, when you were pagans, you were led astray again and again to lifeless idols in whatever way you were led away, usually by a demonic power. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, that is a spirit-filled person who is a spiritual believer, and that's true of us believers in Christ, we are spiritual. No one, speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is anathema, that Jesus is accursed. You can't even say that by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit wouldn't even let those words come out of your mouth. And conversely, no one can say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is deity, except by the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.4 Now, there are varieties of grace-given gifts, and all of them come from the same God, the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 5. And there are a variety of ministries, and all come from the same Lord, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. And there are a variety of effects, impacts, but all of them come from the same God, the Father, who works all things together for good in all persons. All three members of the Trinity participate in spiritual gifting. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, along with God the Holy Spirit, as the previous three verses indicate. Yet God the Holy Spirit is the owner of the distribution of the various gifts. The Greek word for gift, charisma. We get the English word charisma. You know, like me, I have a lot of Charisma, amen? Amen, damn it! (laughs) Yes, you're beautiful. Uh, Yeah, Lord, uh, I know know that you have a promise to them about believe and they'll be saved, but as far as I'm concerned, you can send them wherever you want. Yeah, no, it's like that. It's like that. (laughs) So, as a person who is gifted by God the Holy Spirit, you have a supernatural charisma through your spiritual gifts. Supernatural. Are you using it? And what does the Greek word charisma mean? 
One commentator describes it particularly well. He says it's a divine grace gift that comes to expression through action, showing itself as special service for the benefit of others. Is this going to be the year when you investigate your spiritual gift, when you get off of your arse and investigate your spiritual gift? Is this going to be the year? Or are you still going to wait for the pigeon of spiritual gifts to motivate you? Now, Paul sends a clear message to the Corinthian believers that using a spiritual gift for selfish purposes is not the intent of God the Holy Spirit. Your spiritual gift emphasizes God the Holy Spirit's grace and wisdom in giving it to you. It does not highlight the believer's use of it. The believers at Corinth were out of line for flaunting their gift, especially the gift of tongues. Well, what's the point of a spiritual gift? 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each one is given the manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's what a spiritual gift is. It is the manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit. And they're given that by God for the mutual benefit of all. The use of the passive voice in this verse indicates that there is no merit in the receiver of the spiritual gift. Your spiritual gift is what God the Holy Spirit uses to do the work of His ministry, sanctification, in every believer. Your gift shows up even if you don't. I know a lot of people who have the gift of pastor-teacher, and they are eloquent in business. But they use their eloquence for selfish ends. They use their eloquence for money. There's nothing wrong with making money. But that's not why God put you here. Yeah, I'm going to send you down. Why don't you just go down and make some money? He put us here to serve others. What's your way of serving others? Your spiritual gift is not private. Your spiritual gift is not hidden. The glory of God can't be hidden. The glory of God can't be put under a bushel. Each believer brings a different style and a unique flavor of his spiritual gift. And one of our problems as human beings is we're always waiting for somebody to affirm that it's okay for us to use our spiritual gift. We're always waiting for someone to give us permission to be who we are. You don't need permission, but if you do, I'm giving you permission. You make a difference in your family. If you're the one in your family that everybody says, you know, he's a little wacky. Good. That's what they thought about me. It wasn't that I was just just that I was wacky. I was also dark. Because I was one of the four dark members of my Negro family. All the rest of them were light-skinned and had good hair. And they could pass for white. But I couldn't pass for white, and so I went over there to visit them, and they were like, oh, Jesus. Uh, Yeah, just leave the paper over there, boy. Uh, Uncle Frank, I ain't here to deliver the paper. I'm here to play with my cousin Harold. Is he here? Yeah, that's my family. So the real question is if you'll use your spiritual gifts selfishly, or if you'll use your spiritual gift for the benefit of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one believer in Christ is given the message of wisdom, God-given insight through God the Holy Spirit. To another believer in Christ is given the message of knowledge according to the same God the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 12, 9. To another believer in Christ is given supernatural faith by the same God, the Holy Spirit. We all have faith, but some, some of us have faith when the circumstance says you should. To another believer in Christ is given the gift of healing by the one, God, the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. And to another believer in Christ is given divine power for the effecting of miracles. And to another believer in Christ is given the gift of prophecy. And to another believer in Christ is given the ability for the distinguishing of spirits. And to another believer in Christ is given various kinds of tongues. And to another believer in Christ is given the interpretation of tongues. Now some of these spiritual gifts are out of play. But they all come from God the Holy Spirit. Your spiritual gift is a ministry. Your ministry is designed to edify other believers in Christ. Nobody can tell you how to run your ministry. That's a a matter between you and God. Your spiritual gift is powered by God the Holy Spirit, and it reflects, among other things, His unconditional love, both for you and for all mankind. You reflect the fruit of the Spirit in using your spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12.11 But one and the same God, the Holy Spirit, works all these things, all these spiritual gifts, distributing to each one a grace-given gift individually, just as He wills. Do you want to know your spiritual gift? You can only discover it through effort. The entire Christian way of living is learned through experiences. And when you begin to give of yourself, you will learn whom God designed you to be. So get busy. Now when we return from the break, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper and we'll see how the Lord reconciled us to His Father at the cross. Five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to see I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus For the world to see Nobody but Jesus 
Today's Bible lesson, what difference does it make that you are on the planet? What difference does it make that you're on the planet? Well, Deacon Denny Goodall is a giver, and it makes a big difference that he's on the planet. For years, he's been an ever-present help in the background of Barah Ministries. So it was pretty heart-wrenching to hear him express frustration in the elders meeting yesterday. And his concern is that it looks like the world is winning, and as Christians, we're simply pawns in the world. I'm sure you feel the same way at times. I know I certainly have. Well, let me be clear on one thing. The world isn't winning. The Lord put it on my heart to send that message to our deacon and to all of you who might have forgotten because you're listening more to the propaganda of the world than you are to the Word of God. God's message to you is lift up your eyes. The Lord will be coming again, and He will be coming in a time when the world is in chaos. The Lord warned of things to come in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 28. Here's what it says. It says, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth there will be dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Luke 21, 
26. There will be men fainting from fear and from the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Luke 21:27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. Luke 21, 28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We are members of the Lord's kingdom and he will be coming for us at the proper time. Until then, don't stop giving, don't stop living, and don't start listening to people who are lost for your direction. We're winning and you make a difference. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall, a difference maker, with today's offering message. Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm thankful to be a a deacon at Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And speaking of some real people, there's some real people down at the Arizona State Veterans Home. There's some great people down there. And I had a little story to share. I, I went to drop off some handwritten um, Christmas cards from Pastor Rory. And when I got there, I walked up to the glass entry doors and off to the side panel where there was two people just sitting with two chairs, you know, right against the fixed window panel. And I couldn't really see what they were doing. That didn't make sense. Why would you sit towards the panel? And as I walked in... And I could see through the reflection there was a gentleman on the inside, a veteran there, pressed against the inside panel. And he was visiting with his family. And so I looked at that and that just made me angry. Because the government wants us to isolate ourselves. And they're isolating these veterans, they're isolating these older people that need our help. That need us to come together, like Pastor said, to love them, to encourage them, and pressure them. To not just sit down. And I walked in and handed off the cards and left and I saw them and I said a little prayer hoping that they could get together and hoping these, these kind of restrictions could be released. And it's one of those things where you don't have any, I can't help them personally. I can't do anything about it. It makes you feel kind of helpless. And that's the only time we can just rely on God. And it made me think of other things in the world. You know, the government wants us to isolate ourselves and God wants us to unite ourselves. But... You know, the world constantly shows us that we should just separate and isolate ourselves. But the Bible in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us believers in Christ hold fast to the confession of our hope, our absolute confidence in the promises of God, without wavering, for God the Father who promised is faithful. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to unconditional love and to good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, most. Instead of, instead of encouraging one another, especially encouraging one another all the more as we see the day, the second coming of Christ, drawing near. So the Bible says we shouldn't forsake coming together, but the government's forsaking us coming together. And it just shows how important it is for us to unite. In these times where it's really trying, it wants to isolate us and to give up and just walk away. You know, and what if the military men had done that in their platoons, if they had isolated themselves and not gone together with 50 strong, if they went one at a time? They would have been annihilated. It doesn't work that way. You have to come together as a team. And think about sports. You can't just have a quarterback run down the field and score a touchdown. He needs an O-line. He needs some receivers. He needs a running back. 
And they all need to come together to encourage each other and work together. It's just like Pastor said, one day a week is not enough spiritual knowledge. You need to go out, you need to listen every day. And that needs to be something that other people know about and it rubs off on other people because you're thinking about it all the time. And I think it's funny because Pastor calls me a different ma- difference maker and I really haven't done anything other than stand up here. And in my eyes, all the difference I make is stealing from your wallets. <laughs> I make everybody's wallet a little thinner. But it's all for a good reason because as we unite our finances, this is what helps everybody else get to know the, get to know God and get to know the gospel. And it gives us the reason to come here each week is because it's bigger than us. It's not just about us. It's about this whole country. It's about this whole world. It's about them getting to know Jesus Christ. The only reason that we should be here. And I want to thank everybody for always supporting our pastor and for everybody that shows up here because this is our family. And we need to support each other and really build each other up. And there's no way we can do that, like Pastor said, at home. Nobody's going to help you at home. We're not going to know your problems. We're not going to know how you're feeling. We're not going to encourage you. We're not going to love you. And it's going to be hard to, uh, to do that when in these trying times. So <clears throat> thank you for always giving. Um, and thank you for supporting our pastor. And most of all, thank you for giving the gospel to your friends and getting the newsletter out to them. And don't be scared. All they can say is no. So... Thank you for giving and saying yes. That's right. There's none like him. There is nobody like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to his Father. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to his Father. Well, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, which is the most intimate expression of our deep, intimate, and loving personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this celebration, the Lord reminds us of the unity all believers in Christ possess by sharing his body and his blood with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, On behalf of the Lord, 
as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and often as you drink the cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. So every month we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. We remember that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent on Him for our so great salvation. We remember that we believers in Christ are in union with Christ, and we can't get out of our union with Him. We cannot lose our salvation. We remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally. We remember that we are forgiven for every sin we commit, past, present, and future. And we remember that we have the Lord's grace to help in times of need, especially when we make mistakes. The Lord's Supper celebration is often called communion. This is our time, this is our chance to commune with the Lord. It's a sacred celebration, so it's not something we take for granted. It's not something we do on the fly. It's a time to have bread and wine in front of us, And as we enjoy the elements, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for our physical sustenance and for our spiritual sustenance. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back for a few moments. We look back at the cross to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We look back to the cross to remember the sacrifice of his shedding blood to cover sins. We look back to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life that he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look forward as well in anticipation that he is coming again. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And we can ask ourselves that question every day And we could answer it every day, and we could never tap out the answers. And this month, we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to his Father. Reconciled us. What does that mean exactly? Well, as human beings, there is one thing we hope never happens to us. Betrayal. Yet, it always happens. And many times through the hands of our closest family members, I always kind of laugh at weddings. You know, there are a lot of people who are stupid enough to ask me to do weddings for them. And I, of course, hate doing weddings, but I will for certain friends. But I always look at the situation, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, the person that you're with is a human being, and they're going to betray you during the course of your relationship. You're sitting here right now thinking that they're not. You're thinking that you're going to be able to be with somebody for 60 years until death do you part, and they're not going to betray you. And you want to believe that lie. But that is not the truth. That is not what's going to happen. You're going to get betrayed. And when you do, you're going to find out what kind of person you are. And if you're, if you're the kind of person who dumps people when they betray you, then what kind of person are you? That's the real question. Well, we should hold God to that standard, shouldn't we? What kind of God do we have when we betray him? 
when you think of traitors, what names come to mind? The world has been filled with traitors. Satan, the enemy of God, is an obvious choice from angelic history. He is a traitor. He was the bodyguard of God the Son, and he betrayed the Lord. In human history, maybe Judas Iscariot comes to mind. He betrayed the Lord for money, and it led to the Lord's crucifixion at the cross. Perhaps you remember Gaius Cassius Longinus and Marcus Junius Brutus, Roman senators who were part of a triumvirate that orchestrated the assassination of Julius Caesar. The original traitors in human history are Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord directs them through Adam. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. You want to put that up? Genesis 2.17, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The Hebrew says, dying, die. Dying spiritually first, then you'll die physically. Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord's command. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Their betrayal put an enmity, a condition of hostility between God and mankind. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered the world through sin, and so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God the Father to have sinned when Adam sinned. From that point on, God and man did not get along. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ restored the peace between God and mankind. This restoration is called reconciliation. What is reconciliation? The removal of an enmity the removal of a hostility, the restoration of harmony, the reinstatement of peace. Do you remember Rodney King, who was beaten mercilessly by members of the Los Angeles Police Department? Do you remember what he asked as he tried to restore the peace in the midst of rioting in Los Angeles? Rodney asked, can can we all just get along? Sorry, Rodney, in the world there is no peace. The world will never get along. Because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, though, peace between mankind and God is restored. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 say this, When you were spiritually dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were God's enemy, God the Father made you spiritually alive together with Christ, having forgiven all our trespasses. Colossians 2.14 And having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified on the principle of faith in the past, we believers in Christ now and forevermore keep on having peace with God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. God has nothing against us. Romans 5.11. And not only this, much more. We believers in Christ also exult in God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. It was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in Jesus Christ in bodily form. Colossians 1.20, and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. Through Christ to reconcile all things, I say, whether things are on earth or things in heaven. Colossians 1.21, and although you were formerly alienated from the resurrection life, and from God. And although you were formerly hostile in mind toward God, engaged in evil deeds, your sins, Colossians 1.22, yet Jesus Christ has now reconciled you to God the Father in his fleshly body through physical death on the cross in order to present you before God the Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's how God looks at you. When he looks at you, he sees someone who is holy, blameless, righteous, justified, without reproach. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ, and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. The old things passed away. The old things died. Behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Now all these things are from God the Father, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19, Namely, that God the Father, through the person and work of Christ, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And God the Father has committed to us the word, of reconciliation. As a result, Romans chapter 6, verse 14, sin shall no longer be a master, a lord over you. Because you believers in Christ are not under the law, you are under grace. When we were God the Father's enemy, he provided the solution that allows us to be reconciled to him. I don't believe you really heard that, so just look at that for a second. When we were God the Father's enemy, he provided the solution that allows us to be reconciled to him. When you hurt somebody, you should provide the solution that would let you be reconciled to them. God the Father did it for you, and the solution is his son who dies in our place so that we can, can be saved. And that's going to be my first conversation with God the Father. What are you, nuts? Why would you do that? Why would you let somebody hurt you and then you send your son to die to give them the chance to reconcile to you? Because I have no desire 
whatsoever, none to reconcile with those who betray me. If you don't think God is special, you're not looking at the evidence because nobody would do things the way he does them. Nobody. He's amazing. Well, let's enjoy the elements of the Lord's Supper. Obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person and who he is as a person is the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice that he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table. And the apostles reclined with him. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. When Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus continued the celebration, pointing out that he has an enemy. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine here on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going back to the Father as, at, as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And the apostles began to debate, debate among themselves which of them was going to be the one who would do this. As believers in Christ, we have chosen not to betray our Lord. Instead, we choose to obey our Lord with this celebration. So let's keep on eating the bread, let's keep on drinking his cup, and let's do both to remember the Lord. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds with awe and reverence and gratitude. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God the Father, his seating at the majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from his word which feeds our souls. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God the Father. If it weren't for the Lord, none of us would be saved. The cross was a statement. When we're at our worst, the Lord gives us his best. Here's June Murphy to sing about it with her song, You Ran After Me. know how to do it. So when she starts singing, you just hit that every time it's time.
In the dark there is no doubt Jesus, light of the world, eternal truth Savior, you pursued, then let me choose You ran after me You ran after me Sought me for Thank you, June. <laughs> it's always nicer when you don't sing. <laughs> Those recordings are awesome. Don't ever get smart with me or we'll be all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, the closing moments of our <laughs> the closing moments of our lesson are a reminder that God wants you and what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants a relationship with you. And he sends evangelists to you to bring you the good news concerning what he did to save you at the cross. Now, when a person evangelizes to you, they are guiding you to a gospel message for your consideration. And they know they can't convert you, although the pressure 
that you experience from some of them might feel like that's what they want to do. They're giving you facts to consider. Are the facts that they're giving you true or false? For example, if you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, they're evangelizing to you. If you've ever had a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints come to your door, they are evangelizing you. Unfortunately, both of these groups are inviting you to share eternity with them in the lake of fire because neither of these groups believe that Jesus Christ is God. I have family members who are part of one of these religions, and in spite of my best evangelism efforts, my family members don't want to hear anything that God has to say to them through me. Many parents are leading their children to a destiny in the lake of fire. If you want to assess whether or not you're a good parent, just ask yourself a simple question. Are you influencing your children to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe? I think you remember that I asked you to pray for a friend of mine whose daughter had been in a car accident in Hawaii. Do you remember that a couple, from a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago? Aaliyah was her name. I'm sorry, Azalea. I always want to butcher her name. It's unfortunate. But anyway, Azalea went home to be with the Lord. And one of the things her mom said, I talked to her the other day, and she said, do you remember when we first met and you asked me if I believed in Jesus Christ? I said, yeah. She said... I really had to stop and consider the question, and I told you, yes, I believe in God. And you said, that's not what I asked you. I said, I, you asked me, do I believe in Jesus Christ? Do I, do I think that Jesus Christ is God? And so I told you, yes. And then you said, well, do your kids believe that? And she, she said, well, I don't know. I said, well, you need to find out. And so she said, I went home that night and I asked all my kids and they all told me, yeah, we believe that Jesus Christ is God. And yes, we believe in Jesus Christ. That's what you taught us to do. Well, her daughter is in heaven. And it's never easy for a mother to lose a kid. But can you imagine what her life would have been like if she hadn't gone home and asked them that question? And so you never know when God is sending you the exact thing you need. And that's the thing that I've always been very watchful for in my life, is watching for the little messages that God sends that aren't so obvious. And that was one for my friend Shonda. And the fact that she acted created a tremendous amount of comfort for her even in the midst of one of the hardest things that happens for moms, which is losing one of your kids. Well, God the Father has a plan to get you to heaven, and that plan is named Jesus. He's the only way to get to heaven, according to John chapter 14, verse 6, which says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message, the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. If a gospel message makes it sound like you have to work to get to heaven, it's a false gospel message. 
Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, we don't have to work to be saved. It, it says, if salvation is by grace, a free gift from God, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace as a free gift is no longer grace, is not free. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says, you can't work for salvation. Now to the one who works for salvation, his wage for his work is not credited to his account as a favor from the grace of God, but his wage is credited as what is due for the work. Unfortunately, your hardest work is not perfect enough to earn you a spot in heaven. What can you do instead of working for your salvation? Acts chapter 16, 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. What does it mean to believe? It means just to take God's word for it, what it takes to be saved. John chapter 3, verse 36 warns, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, God the Father didn't send God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world. But the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says this, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. Take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. God wants you. If you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, let's close with music. Our God is omniscient. He knows all that is knowable, yet there are some things he chooses not to concern himself with. Among those things are already paid for sins. Here's June Murphy to remind us he remembers to forget. No one's kept from heaven because of their sins salvation's door is open whosoever can enter in christ died for the whole world all you need is to believe god wants none to perish your sins aren't a memory As far as the east is from the west, our sins are cast from us. And yes, he remembers, he remembers, he remembers to forget. 
when stumbling into sinfulness, we need not hide, cause God keeps his promises, all that he has made, restoration is provided, and we can boldly say, As far as the east is from the west, our sins are cast from us. And yes, he remembers, he remembers, he remembers to forget. Sins won't be mentioned at the judgment seat of Christ. CD. <laughs> we close with a doxology of praise to our God, Philippians 4, 6. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the God of peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with his peace you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you also for everything you don't do for us. 
Thank you for not holding our sins against us. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. And when we do deserve, thank you for showing us your mercy. We pray for all the people in the world who are being deceived. We pray that you might give them spiritual eyes that help them to discern what's going on in the world and what's going on to deceive and manipulate them and that it may cause them to come and look for the truth in you and in your Son. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.